It's the MetroFed TV Weekly Rundown coming to you live for the first time in our history, having gone international into different locations. Lanza Fernando coming to you live from the beautiful island of Singapore and Woodbridge, New Jersey. Of course, how are you doing, Fernando? I feel like shit. I'm this cold. <laughs> this weather sucks. <laughs> but um, yeah, besides that, I feel I feel great. I've been riding on this fucking awesome high of that game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know that, that that was one of the that was one of the things that I wanted to uh, get down before I left actually uh, on Wednesday is that I wanted to uh, download like the entire full replay of that game and just watch it over and over and over <laughs> and over until like you know i passed out or something and i actually calculated this but in the 16 hours that i spent in that airplane you know i could have legitimately watched it front to back like eight times which means we get to see <laughs> atlanta get defeated eight times which is great uh, <laughs> so so i'm recording this in my bedroom it's nice and it's air-conditioned and it's definitely not full of terrible falls, fall things right about now. So I'm also pretty yeah, happy or, about that. I ain't or gonna annoying lie. fucking or annoying Amtrak trains just whizzing by, fucking yeah. video up. Yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, shout out to Harrison and love everything it's done for me. But man, like when you had an apartment underneath a, underneath like a train bridge, like, dude, I mean. <laughs> It was like <laughs> the potential for catastrophe was high to say the least. Uh, so in case any of you are wondering if we sound a bit under the weather, like it's 7 a.m. in the morning over here and I'm vaguely jet lagged right about now. So still kind of trying to clear the cobwebs out of my head while Fernando, I think, is, you know, is struggling with fall allergies. So dying. I, I'm actually dying slowly. Yeah. If any of this sounds <laughs> a bit downtrodden. We apologize in advance, but now I think we'll. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're we're not sad. Oh, you know, I mean, we, won. <laughs> we have no reason to be sad because let's talk about the Atlanta game, shall we? Yes. Uh, everything that the uh, other podcasts haven't already gone through, but in my opinion, this was probably the most satisfying win on and off the field, like all season, and if it wasn't the most satisfying win all season. It's definitely top two. I think uh, the only other thing that I think can come close to uh, matching this victory in terms of just how sweet it was, was when they just blew the doors off a city at home four nil, I think in the regular season and then the U S open cup. Like this was, Oh no. So my, my top two is actually just as far as like, um, just how great it felt and how significant it felt and how great it just made me feel. And I think also the fan base, I think it's actually the Tijuana game. I oh, think the true. Tijuana series win, series true. win, and this game. Like, beating City the way we did was fucking incredible, four to nothing, twice. But there was something very, very different with, with these two games. First, I mean, obviously, it's – and you beat fucking Tijuana. And the way we did was – amazing and then he had the whole Tijuana Tuesday you know I kind of led up to the second game um you know the 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 home leg and and just all the the funness that kind of happened around there and we saw kind of similar with this game where obviously the game itself was absolutely unbelievable but you know it's been just nothing but fucking glorious memes and shit posting (laughs) for like fucking five days now yeah so for me that's 
you know, for with City, it's just like okay, we just kind of kicked their ass again, as expected almost. You know, we kind of rebounded a little bit from uh, from la- uh, after last year, but just beating Tijuana the way we did and beating Atlanta the way we did was just for me just a whole different level. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I like to think that I can judge uh, significant victories in in this fan base according to. Uh, whether or not they spawn memes after the game, basically. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, Tijuana spawned, of course, hashtag Tijuana Tuesday, which lives on in our hearts. The City game spawned Cinco de Metro for a bit, but that wasn't really as much of a thing. But, you know, I mean, like, I guess we'll talk about the memes for a bit. Like, this was, uh, wow. <laughs> I mean, this was a high point, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. It comes to uh, If it didn't, this win was significant because it didn't just put us back into supporter shield race, but it also put us like, I think in pole position in the meme league soccer supporter shield race. I mean, yeah, the, the, the meme Audi index for us is just fucking off the chart. Yeah. The who scored meme index is off the <laughs> charts. Like, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of stumbled upon enough of, of uh, MLS Twitter. And, and I really, really, really can definitively say that we, we definitely just kind of fucked it up. Yeah, I mean, when it this, comes to the memes. this was definitely like a $7 million meme on transfer market, like a, the Chris Armas pointing meme. I mean, shout out to Tom Bellows for uh, getting this whole shindig started. I think yeah. it was kind of, I mean, it was emblematic of, you know, I think when we look at how just complete this victory was, you know, I think uh, it speaks to just how buzzed I think we are to have seen such a comprehensive victory in this way. And I think if you start the breakdown of this game, you know, we can't really look at it, I think, without factoring in the um, feeling before immediately in the, in the immediate days running up to the game, right? So conventional wisdom, I think, as we said on here in this podcast, it was a question of whether or not our defense would be able to hold our own against the Atlanta offense. Uh, because as it kind of, if you kind of look at the way that we match up, you know, our defense is a lot better than their defense, but our offense is one of a, is one of the top in the league, like right up up in the air. So if you kind of separate these two different parts of the team in the tiers, like you could definitely say that our defense was in a higher tier compared to theirs, while like our offense was in a similar tier. So I mean, I personally thought that defense was going to be winning us this game, and yep. they passed with flying colors, and then some, right? I mean, by whatever available metric that you had, Atlanta had barely a sniff at goal, like all game. I think Robles had to make two uh, two pretty decent saves in one-on-one situations. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, like, no sniffs at all. Uh, the uh, game flow chart that was posted after the game showed that, like, we mostly limited Atlanta to very low... Um, low percentage uh chances from distance while i mean joseph martinez for all his 30 goals in this season in mls like no shots in goal prior to his substitution in 70 yeah. which i mean that just kind of speaks <laughs> to yeah and, I, and he looked so fucking miserable too on the bench it was amazing yeah <laughs> i mean i i'm i'm almost disappointed that we didn't just go savage on that also but we just had so much other content yeah and I think, like, what was kind of cool, in my opinion, was that they did such a good job of holding him back that half of his um, touches actually came from his own half of the halfway line. Like, it just shows... That was, I think, one of the craziest stats that I saw. Like, if 
I mean, there were there were some. If you really go deep into into the stats of that game, there were some really inter- uh, interesting things. That actually might be one of the most like striking ones. When I when I read that, I was like, whoa! I honestly couldn't believe that. That's that to me. I think that kind of displays probably more than anything how just absolutely dominating this team was defensively, and how good of a job they cut them off at the fact that that's where all almost all of his touches were. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, there was discussion um, on Twitter talking about how, you know, this was a really good um, test of our ability to like what really um, held Joseph Martinez back was the fact that we played a very high, that we typically play a very high defensive line. And I think what this kind of highlighted to us is that, you know, like we have a blueprint, to show how to shut down the Atlanta offense, right? It's to sort of deny space, prevent prevent them from really turning and running at your defense to try and stretch you, and then basically keep Martinez pinned, um, yep, pinned uh, deeper, f- further deeper deeper up the field, because like as it shows, you know, I mean, like I think it was pretty clear to us that. Um, considering that most of the passes that he made were either sideways or backwards, that he doesn't really offer that much in terms of build-up play or ability to just kind of run at defenses either. You know, like he's definitely a bit more of a poaching striker, I would say, which is kind of uh, plays off the shoulder of a someone like an Almiron or a Vialba just kind of running at defenses to kind of stretch mm-hmm. him wide open. And he's just there to exploit yep. the space that opens up. I mean... The, the the way the defense played Atlanta's offense in terms of just compressing the space and preventing the uh, preventing them from turning and stretching us out wide too much. I mean, I just thought it was absolutely admirable in that way. And yeah, when you talk about defensive effort, I think you know, like all of this looks particularly amazing in light of the fact that you know we learned that Tyler Adams was missing this game, like just immediately before. Yeah, the game. and. Yeah, and, and what's what's interesting about that too is you know you you brought up about kind of the the I guess general feeling of the base and the general ideas of kind of how this game would fare would mostly center around the defense and what kind of made that conversation a little interesting was you know the team outside of the outside of the the Toronto game uh, the teams look a little 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 shaky defensively you know against Montreal and then against. Uh, against DC. So I, I, I think most people, I guess, had most of their fears uh, kind of taken care of after the Toronto game. But I, there was definitely a lot of chatter within a fan base of like, okay, that Toronto game was good, but Montreal and DC was still kind of in the back of their head, even like Vancouver in, ex- in, a, in a sense with those, with those weird, you know, uh, gaps in, in the set pieces. Like there were enough doubts, I think from a, the previous couple of games where, there was at least, I think, in the majority of the fan base, just at the very least in the back of their head, kind of like, we're really, really, really good defensively, but, and that slight but, I think, is maybe what made the game a little bit more nervy for fans leading up to the game, and then we hear about Adams, and it's like, oh, shit, okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, on top of that, it was also kind of like, you know, the impending doom was kind of felt from the Toronto game because we were missing as well, you know, a very integral part of our offense, right? You know, Uh, so going into the game to have learned that we were essentially missing two of our most essential players between Bradley Wright Phillips and Tyler Adams, you know, like I think 
compounding with the general feeling from the relatively mixed bag of results that we had in the games running up to this, you know, I think it was wouldn't have been unreasonable to expect a loss, I guess, which kind of adds to this overall like feeling of just absolute triumph, right? Because it feels that not only did we kind of bag a win against expectations, the level at which we just so comprehensively beat them was probably one of the best surprises I think that we could have possibly yielded. And yeah, we, we did it with, yeah, we did it with, without our best goal scorer and without our best, our, our best midfielder. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And the reason why I think that is, is because you have to give just so much credit to the, to the midfield three that was selected to start, sorry, the midfield combination that was selected to start this game. You know, we just particularly have to, I think, give, humongous props to Sean Davis, Mark Tchaikovsky, and Alex Muell, right? I think the three of them combined just put in probably what was one of the most comprehensive shifts that we have seen from the midfield this season. And, you know, like, I think we also had some doubts about Davis and Rizzo coming into this game because, you know, every other time that we've charted out this midfield combination, we've looked a bit flat or we haven't quite been as dominant because none of them really quite have the motor that Tyler Adams does, right? And his ability to kind of yeah. cover space and um, his ability to cover space and just break up plays all over the field. But, you know, even though they didn't have Tyler's physical gifts, you know, because they didn't have Tyler's physical gifts, I should say, you know, there were questions of whether or not they be able to cover the same amount of ground. And, you know, I mean, it goes without saying. I, they, 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 they answered the questions and then some, right? I mean, Davis particularly putting in such an unbelievably accomplished performance in the center of the field. Like, being everywhere. Like, uh, like you remember that passing chart, I think, that came out in Opta, basically, that showed that Atlanta had this humongous donut-like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. passing map in the game. But there's just that giant hole yeah. in the center of the field. But they're trying to pass around uh, <laughs> Davis and Rizza in the center. I mean, that was, I mean, it's just a testament to just how dominant they were in the center of the field. I mean, they were funneling them out wide and the way that they just kind of moved everything over, like pinned the fullbacks back as well, which really prevented them from expanding the field of play too much. I mean, just, just unbelievable work, I think, in the center of the field. Yeah. And and I think I think the way the team the team definitely looked a lot more compressed um, than they have been in the last couple of games, and I think that played a big part because when you're when you're able to kind of compress your opponent and kind of squeeze them in a lot more, that's kind of it's actually less running that you have to do. There's less ground that you have to cover. When teams are able to kind of spread you out, well, then that's that's when you need a guy like Tyler Adams. Where okay, fine, you spread us, but you know what, I you know he has a physical ability to track and, and, and push forward. Whereas, you know, uh, Riza and, and, and Davis don't have that physical ability to, to cover that much ground. So I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure what, what went in training that, that made such a big difference between uh, this game and Montreal. And, and it was another game that we, we saw Davis and, uh, and Riza um, uh, mid uh, pairing. Was it against Chicago? I yeah. think it was. Yeah, so yeah, I feel like this this game they did a good job of of kind of keeping everything tight and compact and compressing them a little bit. Where again, they didn't have to cover that much ground. The 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 tactics basically made up for 
for not having that. And thankfully, they weren't ever really exposed too much uh, for needing that. You know, they weren't really spread out at any point during the game too much where, where you know, there was like, shit, we need, you know, you kind of need somebody to, to, to cover the ground. And whenever that did happen, it was Mio who had an unbelievable yeah. game. Yeah, and I think when you talk about just – pinning people back and compressing space you know i think uh, alex wheels uh, work great out there in the right wing in combination with our high 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 line you know it negated so much of uh atlanta's ability to use their fullbacks to try and attack down the side i think um the the, the way it looked to me is that like you know the, the the back four were sort of like this anvil and the way the midfield kind of mush pushed around and uh, harassed their midfield. You know, that was sort of like the hammer that kind of just ended up resulting in, you know, their attackers crashing up against the shore. You know, like you talk about being absolutely pinned back. You have to talk about how well they were moving as a unit, you know, when to move up, when to hold back, when to pinch in and how to funnel the attackers into less threatening areas. You know, I think this was such an unbelievably accomplished performance as a result of the press, right? And it really started to uh, look particularly, um, start to look a lot like how it looked in the early season, I think, with how much of a wood chipper it is, uh, passing, how how much passing to the center of the field was like a wood chipper, kind of. You know, like, we yep. didn't, Atlantic passed into the center of the field as we expected and just couldn't get anything going because of how much it was like a buzzsaw, which I think was just absolutely unbelievable and we have to take into account that you know even though we were doubtful about this midfield pairing of Rizzo and Davis you know I think we also kind of have to take into account the fact that Atlanta weren't really trying to be physically disruptive as other teams have kind of played this midfield pairing in the past and I think this is the caveat for me here is that like the difference between Atlanta and the difference between teams like Chicago and Montreal is that they weren't treating the center... They weren't. They didn't put hatchet men in the center of the field. And I mean, you know, like, we knew Atlanta was going to come out to play. And that kind of ended up playing into our favor. Because I think Rizzo and Davis are players that do kind of struggle. And players, you know, try and ride up on them and play a bit more physically. Atlanta came out trying to pass and trying to finesse their way through the center field. And they kind of played into our hands a little bit. Because it played right into the biggest strengths that those two have as players. Just their positioning, their intelligence, and their knowledge and knowing how to move in accordance to what the rest of the team is doing. And I think that's kind of what resulted in us having the um, kind of having the pass maps that we saw, right? Where the center of the field yep. was just a complete dead zone for them, just completely shut down by. Yeah, and look, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta can play like that against. An overwhelmingly, you know, an overwhelmingly large amount of uh, uh, amount of teams in a the league. There, I, I think the gap between the best and worst in MLS is a lot bigger than people realize. Sometimes I think there's non-sporting stuff that kind of evens out the league a little bit. Um, but I mean, you, you, I mean, I've seen games before with Atlanta, man. They just the way they they just fucking blow right through teams. Sometimes it's it's borderline embarrassing, and you know you can do that against tactically naive teams. You could do that against teams that you know maybe don't have um, the best quality defenders, the best quality midfield, or again a, a tactical plan 
that's that's kind of conducive to, to stopping them. And in general, I think in MLS, you don't really have much of that, except for in like the higher tier you know teams, which is why they're the higher team, uh, higher tiers. Then you have us who I'm not really I'm really trying not to sound biased here, but I do think that we have probably the most complex tactical system mm-hmm. in the entire league. It is extremely complex with the way with the way this team plays, and it's not just me saying that. Like, there are so many players who have who on record have have you know have openly said that this is you know the most tactically um, uh, a difficult team uh, system to learn and team to play for. So a lot of that shit that Atlanta pulls is it's really not it's going to have a hard time working with uh, working on us. And again, I think Atlanta's themselves are kind of tactically one-dimensional because they have guys like Martinez, Almiron, and and now what's his name, uh, Vialba, because, look, they have the abilities where they can, again, they can kind of just dance around most defenders. You don't need an expansive set of tactics when you have guys like that. But when you go against a team like us where it's not just, where it's, it's not just a really good tactical team, but you have arguably the best back line in the league and probably the best midfield in the league, that's just not going to work. And, and if, and, Dr. Martinez showed he had, or Martino showed he really didn't have that that many answers or any answers at all. What what tactical changes did he make during the game to answer what they were doing? Not much. The only the only time anything changed in the game was uh, when we kind of slowed it down yeah. a little bit because I think maybe Atlanta was kind of slowing it down themselves. They weren't playing as direct and they were, you know, being a little, uh, trying to build a little bit more, I guess. Um, which I thought was an interesting thing because we saw, we saw this team handle themselves in a way that maybe they normally wouldn't have, um, and I think that that's a testament to what this what Armis has been trying to build in the last couple of weeks, or really since he's taken over. Of okay, you know there we, there are gonna be times where we're gonna have to slow the game down a little bit. We're gonna have to possess a little bit more, and the team looked really comfortable mm-hmm. doing that, like extremely comfortable. We saw what I feel is peak energy drink soccer, but also a different style, you know, something that's a little bit more possession based when they needed to, but they also were able to turn it back up when they needed yeah, to think, also. You know, it's notable. I think, uh, you know, when, when we talk about blueprints of learning how to beat Atlanta, you know, I think uh, when it comes to a team like that, like inviting their attackers onto yourselves, it's sort of like a recipe for disaster, right? Because of like how, how you say, like how good they are, individually in terms of their one-on-one ability and their ability to just run at you at base. I think what we proved in this game is that in order to beat Atlanta, you have to give those guys zero respect. You guys yeah. you guys can't yeah. play Atlanta scared. The moment you give Almiron, nope. Martinez, and those guys too much respect and invite them onto yourselves by bunkering, that's when you play yourselves because that's actually playing into their best exactly. attributes as players. What we did in this game, I think that was just so alarming. Is like you said, you know, we were the proactive team in this matchup, weren't we? You know, like we forced them to play our game as opposed to letting them just sort of have their way with how they want to play us. And I think, you know, that was sort of such a big notable thing as to how we managed to pull out this result, you know? And I think when you talk about looking a bit more comfortable in possession, you know, and, you know, I mean, I love Tyler and everything. But if there was sort of a midfield duo who would be a bit more comfortable in perhaps possessing the ball and moving it around a bit more, you know, it would be Sean Davis and Tchaikovsky, you know, because I think, but just objectively yeah. speaking, they are better passers of the ball than Tyler, Tyler Adams is. You know, I think they have like higher, they have more vision, 
They've got, you know, a wider range of passing. Um, and, you know, it kind of showed that, you, you know, I get that one sequence uh, down the uh, left side of the field in the first half, but they're sort of playing, that yeah, just fun. buttery one-touch, one or two, three-touch oh, soccer, beautiful. right? I mean, it was just such... Seeing the comfort levels on the ball, I think, develop as a result of that is, isn't isn't insignificant when you talk about how this team yeah. may potentially want to play down the line. You know, like, and... Yeah, and... and... And I'm sorry. And what was it, what was interesting about that 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 play too is is really just how quick it was. That was such a fast transition. That is that. Oh my God! Just everything about that was just was just so nice. They really showed that that it, that they could play at this point in a lot more ways than they were able to. You know, even be, even yeah. in the beginning of the season, um, the way they were able to kind of just get themselves out of that, that part of that part of the field and just move the ball with such blistering yeah. speed. And, and I mean, if, if we just had someone in the middle close enough, that could have actually been a, a decent goal scoring yeah. opportunity with a matter of just a couple of seconds and, and a couple of really good passes. And yeah, to bring up wheel again, that play dies. If it's not from wheels, incredible, uh, uh, push, and just that that nonstop engine, because remember, I think it was shit. Who had the ball dispossessed? It was the uh, right Royer. I think. So, actually... so yeah, it was a kind of a there was a pass that came in from the uh, center of the field back out wide again, and uh, Royer had to fight for it. And if it weren't for like you say, like Wheel yeah. just making that overlap, Wheel the right winger making the overlap on the left flank to kind of keep it going. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like that was. Just unbelievable yeah. work rate, that was, you know, from him. Such a yeah, and, and 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 those are the kind of things that Wheel brings to the table that is so underappreciated within this fan base. That that is again, again, that's not a, it's not an insignificant moment. That's that could have potentially led to a real goal scoring opportunity. Whereas otherwise, ninety nine percent of the time. Okay, yeah, it was a nice little sequence. Ball dies, and that's it. You know, throw it in and and, yeah. and continue on. Who knows? You know, that same situation has happened in the past. It could happen again. That that could end up being a difference between, you know, a potentially getting a goal or not. And again, those those are the little things that that he brings to the table that is just so underrated and so underappreciated with this. Yeah, you know, certainly when you team. talk about just finding new ways to start the transition at speed, you know, because we know that the press is something where. Um, you're basically living and dying by transition moments, right? With how quickly you can move the ball mm -hmm. up the field after you win it back. I think what that play showed is that in addition to winning the ball high up the field, you know, like we're, we're, we're capable of creating these transition moments through quick passes that result in breakaways as well, you know, and having that wrinkle particularly in the way that we want to try and start our offense, you know, I think that's just, that's definitely not, insignificant if we prove that we're able to create plays like this you know where we can in addition to creating things off of you know pressing moments we're also capable of creating transition moments through quick interchanges and quick passes you know i think that's definitely not insignificant and you know, I mean, we'll we'll, talk, we'll we'll get we'll talk a bit more about Alex Wheel, I think, in a bit. But I wanted to bring it back to uh, the person who I personally thought was my man at the match, Sean Davis, for a bit, because 
I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter would know how much I stand for this guy. And I'm just, just so happy to see him have the game that he did, you know, because I think when you talk about starting the transition quickly, a lot of the onus fell back on Sean again this game because Tyler was out of uh, the game and you kind of knew under Chris Armis that Tyler Adams has shelled there a bit more of that responsibility in starting the build up, right? I think what this game yep. reminded us of when it comes to Sean Davis is just how good he is at settling the ball and starting to transition play almost immediately. You know, like, yeah, he is as soon so as he wins possession back, he settles it in one touch, makes a turn, and he moves the ball on, like, almost immediately. And, you know, I think if you talk about maybe how we looked a bit sluggish in a starting transition moments in past weeks, you know, I think this is one thing that may have been missing. And it's one thing that we may have inadvertently rediscovered is learning just how quick Sean is at moving the ball up the field in two or three touches, you know, and personally, I would like to start seeing Sean, you know, like take up more of that burden once again, you know, cause I don't really think that uh, using Tyler to start build up or involving Tyler too much in a build up play isn't the best usage of his uh, attributes. You know, you want Tyler as the midfield destroyer, but also the guy shuttling the ball up the field as soon as you win it back. You don't really want Tyler passing. You don't really want Tyler acting as distributor. That that role is definitely a bit more conducive to Sean, you know, with how good his touch is and how good he is at moving the ball quickly. You know, it's why I'm starting to think that Chris kind of Chris Armas kind of needs to start thinking of moving a lot of that responsibility back to Sean Davis as opposed to Tyler Adams to really, um, to really as a way to like try and replicate this midfield performance going forward. Like, what do you think about that? No, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, Ty, Tyler and, 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 and Sean, they complement each other so well in how they play. And, and if there's one thing I, yeah, I guess I, I haven't really been too keen on. And, and it's weird because it's something that like, I don't think I noticed immediately. It was kind of just over a couple of games. You can kind of see Adams with the ball a little bit more in train, like kind of start trying to start that, 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 that uh, transitional moment. And I never felt, comfortable because he just kind of didn't look comfortable doing it um i mean i'd have to look i'd have to look at some advanced stats to uh to see to see i guess is like pass to completion and transition i'm not even sure if 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 we could even get those kind of stats but i would i would definitely i would definitely put money on that davis's um that davis's you know pass completion and transition is is quite a bit higher than uh than Tyler's. And I think that's just because he's a better passer. I think his vision in the transition is also, is also better. And just, I just, his style of play is just, it just, it's really just kind of just perfect for that. And we, we saw him being used that way in the past under Jesse. And that's definitely one of the changes that, that, that Chris has made that I really haven't been uh, too big of a fan of. And we saw it today or today we saw it on, on, uh, on Sunday, you know, what happens when you kind of give him the keys, uh, for, yeah, for you know, I've role. always kind of seen him as being the sort of the center of the storm in a way, right? Like the eye, the eye of the hurricane, you know, there's all this chaos going on all around him and he's the, and he's the eye because, you know, like that's where the calmness comes in, you know, 
bolt comes out, pops Definitely. to him, yeah, that, settles it, and then moves it on like almost immediately. You know, it's the sort of the thing. He's the thing that gives structure to the chaos. I think because of his, his ability to just settle the ball in really tight situations, tight chaotic situations, and just find a way to move it on to the next teammate. And that creates, you know, I mean, a multitude of breakaway situations. But... Yeah. And, and, and you know, look, it, it, for a lot of talk, there's always, you know, there's always discussions. I, I've, you know, heard, I've been involved in discussions about, you know, the players on an individual level and their just actual talents and abilities you know, sometimes aren't like the requirements may not be as high as playing in different styles because of the way the team plays. And one of those things is, you know, is passing. Oh, you don't have to be that great of a passer to play, you know, to play with this team because just of how they play, which there might be some truth to that. But I think the counter argument is Davis, because if you, if Davis isn't as good and sharp in his passing, whether it's close range or, or, or mid range or, or down to field, as he is, and he doesn't have that vision to do that, and he's not five times faster, meant you know, uh, you know, mentally than the guys around him with that transition, then those quick transition moments don't happen. You know, you need a high level of passing ability, you need a high level of vision, you need a high level of of uh, of mental speed and mental awareness to really be good at that role. And I think he more than proved that he has all those qualities on yeah. Sunday. Um, I think, but now I think shifting gears a little bit, you know, when we talk about needing to have someone anchor the chaos, we also kind of need to talk about the flip side of the coin. You need someone to kind of go out and create the chaos. Right. And this is where Alex wheel comes in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such an, you know, I think after the game when uh, it was very, it was a very good moment. I think when you handed me the Alex, when you guys handed me the uh, Alex Mule Stan Club jersey after the game, because yeah, <laughs> I don't know how you could possibly watch Alex this game and not understand what he brings to the table. You know, for all we talk about, Sean helping to settle down the ball after um, transit to start the transition to attack. Sean doesn't have anything to settle down. If you don't have Alex Mule out there, just absolutely harassing people and just creating and just having popping the ball out with just being aggressive and trying to challenge for every single 50, 50 ball. And it was such a big part of making the press like look so much more intense, right? And on top of that, you know, we talked about that one hustle moment where it almost resulted in a scoring chance for Brian White in the center of the field. We also remember that there was one hustle moment that led to an actual goal in the second half. And oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. these are the kind of things that I think have become that have been making him increasingly endearing to us. And, you know, it's reminded us of just like what we said, like the things that he brings to the table. You know, his ability to just to, to fight for every ball and adds this ability to just kind of create something out of nothing in a way. And yeah. I have a hot take. I have a hot take. 2015 game against Columbus right. at home when the ball bounces off Bradley and it goes just outside the post when Sean Wright Phillips was just staring yeah. at the ball. 
Wheel goes in. <laughs> Wheel goes in. Wheel would have literally been a game changer. He would have he would have won us that game because he would have just ran his fucking ass off to that ball with no regard to anyone's well being within thirty feet from him, and he would have fucking tapped that ball in. Whereas Sean just that he just yeah, you know I think uh, you know I I I can't be I I can't disagree right, and I think you saw it and. In- I think it's two times this season now where he's kind of uh, hustled for balls, um, played into the byline, and knocked it back into the center for someone in the middle to tap it in. You know, like it, he, he did, did it against Houston. Yeah, it? he did it against Houston uh, to set up Brian White's first ever MLS goal, and he did it again today to yeah to get the ball to Tim Parker. You know, I mean, um, with how well he's played on that right wing, I think we were talking about how he looked great as a super sub. But now I think this game against Atlanta has highlighted that he's been able to sustain it for 90 minutes. You know, that aggression. And not only, and and not only that, he proved that when you, if you have someone like him out there for 70, 80 minutes and you get your job done, you kind of don't need that super sub off the bench. You know, like you don't need that. You don't need what he brings off. You could use what he brings off the bench, but if you have him there for 70, 80 minutes doing what he was doing on Sunday and they get and they just get shit done, you're fine. Take him out in the 70th, 80th, or even let him go full 90 and, yeah. and, and you're fine. I mean, so I, I think at this point, like you, you kind of have to ask, like, has he earned his starting spot back in your opinion? And I think he deserves a look against San Jose to see if he can keep it going. Because Tyler might be out for that game again, which means that there will be an open spot in that right wing. And I think with how he's played in the past weeks, like there's no one who's staked a better claim to that spot than Alex Mule. I definitely agree. Um, yeah. So, so for specifically for this, the game this week, uh, tomorrow, I am 100% for rolling out the exact same lineup minus, you know, obviously uh, Bradley or white for Bradley um, where I think the question gets interesting again is after that, when Adams is available again, because at that point, who do you sit? I mean, my guess, I, I would say sit, you know, sit, sit Riza. I mean, I, I don't feel comfortable sitting, sitting uh, Sean Davis. I don't feel comfortable, obviously not sitting uh, Tyler Adams. And I think, I think Wheel has proved that he is very, very, very crucial to going full, energy drink soccer and full team dick punch. You know, you, you, what he brings to the table is very important. And again, if you can kind of just do what you got to do in the first 70, 80 minutes, then, you know, you kind of set yourself up for, for, for not needing someone like him off the bench. So yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's not only earned himself a start against San Jose, but I think he's, if, if there are people out there who, who still don't appreciate what he brings, then as much as I don't like being the person that says something like this, but I'm going to say it anyway, if you don't appreciate what Wheel brings after the last couple of games, then you flat out have no idea how this team is, is, is designed and actually plays at all. Because I just, I don't see how someone could see how he, what he brings to the table in the context of, of how his team plays and not give him his due respect and say, okay, you know what? He's not going to get 10 goals and 10 assists, but, the shit he's going to bring to the table, the intangibles, the little things that turn into big things. 
uh, there's no one else in the roster that can do what he can so do. So what you're saying is that we get you got to give number 19 the third DP slot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he's a difference maker, <laughs> isn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, even being serious, he, he is. is a difference maker. He is. You know, he was a different. He was a difference between getting between us walking out with one goal and us getting yeah. two goals. He's li- his his hustle is literally the reason why we got that second goal. His hustle is literally the reason why we won one nothing against Houston. You know, there's so many moments like that throughout the last couple of years that people don't appreciate. That is a difference. That is, again, I, I am, I am riding on this shit fucking hard. 2015 fucking playoffs. If he's there and not, and not, and not, uh, and not Sean Wright Phillips for me in a big moment in a big game, that's exactly how I feel is a difference maker. A difference maker in that game would have just been something as simple as hustling, going after, you know, never always going after the ball. And in that moment, potentially, if Mui was there, he would have been a difference maker. You know, different people have this weird idea of, of what a difference maker is. People have this traditional view of being a difference maker means you're just going to fucking dribble around, you know, nine players and get some just fucking, you know, ESPN worthy Golasso 25 yards out to win the fucking game. No, that's that's stupid bullshit (laughs) nonsense difference making fucking garbage like stop that's yes can you can can someone be a difference maker like that yeah i mean shit god was on it a couple times this year but there are different types of difference makers there's different ways of making a difference especially with regards to how this team plays specifically with how this team plays where something as simple as just keep running Everyone likes to joke and make fun of Mwil. You know, oh, he does his run, run, run. Well, guess what, dicks? Because of his fucking running, he won us two fucking games. And something as, as seemingly insignificant as that, something that you're taught when you're a fucking child playing sports to hustle and, and never stop fucking running, he won us the games. Again, he is a difference maker, 100%. Damn, that was impassioned. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. Um, I've always kind of seen the uh, notion of a difference maker to be kind of, you know, it's kind of a nonsensical phrase, if you ask me. Like, I've kind of, <laughs> because like like you said, you know, like pe- people who, the, the edge over other teams can come in many different shapes and forms. And we saw it again last Sunday where, you know, it was hustle plays that made the difference this time. It was intensity that made the difference this time. You know, I think I think we have to kind of take that in a notion. So we kind of have to take this notion that players can be impactful in different ways. And I think it'd be good to kind of keep that in mind. But I think we'll be moving on from impactful players for a bit now because we're going to want to talk about plug-and-play as well. We talk about someone who can, you know, uh, who had, I think, what was on the down low, one of the toughest jobs on the field. And stepped in and basically looked like he didn't miss a beat. He obviously didn't replicate what the person he was replacing was capable of doing, but he certainly did enough to keep the machine running smoothly. And of course, we're talking about Brian White stepping in for Bradley Wright Phillips and putting in what I thought was a really good performance up front, you know, uh, didn't put the ball into the back of the net, but what he brought 
in other demands of that striker role. You know, I was very happy with what I saw from him, right? You know, going up against one of the best teams in the league and just look like he belonged from literally the first minute when he popped up and just missed a header in the center yeah. of the field. You know, <laughs> you know like yeah. Brian White looking busy up front, link-up play, pressing from the front. You know, it, it's it's one of those little things that kind of adds to that overall team performance. You know, he, he didn't necessarily replicate Bradley's ability to just kind of score by having these absolutely ridiculous finishes from inside the 18, but he replicated what Bradley brings in terms of, you know, his off-the-ball stuff ability to link and bring other people other players into play you know and you know people would kind of were, were a bit annoyed i think in the transfer window because they didn't bring in a backup striker from outside the organization or like there was this uh, perception that because they signed a guy from red bull 2 to be the backup striker that they're being cheap you know i've seen i think you know when you kind of factor in how brian white performed in this game you know i think I'm very sash- I'm satisfied with him being the backup striker to Bradley. I think he's, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. a, I mean, backup striker was something that we were going to spend tons of money on anyway. And B, well, yeah, I mean, pe- people, people got a little too comfortable, I think, with having a fucking, you know, mid twenties DP from Argentina in as your fucking backup striker for the last, you know, two and a half seasons. I mean, that's extremely unrealistic. You, there's no team in this fucking league that has someone like a Gonzalo Verón just sitting on the bench waiting to come on well, as I a mean, fucking backup. Like, well, I mean, I can think of stupid. one. Uh, Orlando have Josue Colman, and they are bottom oh, of the God, league. Yeah. So you're not going to spend <laughs> yeah, <they're... laughs> a TP slot on a striker who's going to warm the bench behind... No. You know, I'm, actually, this is a really good analog. Because Colman sits behind an English striker who's been really good at MLS, right? Dominic Dwyer. I mean, okay, I mean, yeah. Dwyer's American yeah. now, sure. But, <laughs> you know, like, this is the difference between us and them is that, like, it doesn't didn't really make sense, in my opinion, to try and bring in an expensive import from overseas to sit on the bench behind Bradley Wright Phillips. Because Brad doesn't really miss that much time anyway. And... In bringing someone up, I think, from Red Bull 2, you had someone who understood the demands of the role, and you had someone who understood like how he's supposed to operate in context of the bigger picture of how this team wants to play. And, you know, yep. when the, the way that we saw Brian White up there being the tip of the sphere, I mean, like, it was a lot better than, say, plugging in Derek Etienne to be the backup striker. You know, I think Brian White is a viable option for that backup striker role. And he proved it again last Sunday. He brought all the things that Brad brings in our system except for scoring. And that is good. Because if you can be 70% of what Bradley Wright Phillips is, that is perfectly okay. Because no one can replace what Bradley Wright Phillips does. But if you can provide just a semblance of what he does, you're good. I mean... Yeah. No, you're, you're... he is, he is, I mean, dare I say, a perfect type of, of backup striker for this team. Again, as much as people want to just, you know, there, there are definitely some people in, in the fan base and, and people outside the fan base who do, who, I don't know if mock is the right word, but kind of, I guess, 
um, reduce the importance of the concept of of the system and what that really means. They can do it all they want, but it, it doesn't change that that there is a real system and style of play and 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 roles and things that players are supposed to supposed to be doing when they're on the field. So bringing in some rando from overseas midway into the season and thinking that they're going to have a true understanding of what that position requires. Because look, striker in this team is not just a striker. You're, you're not just, you know, just standing there waiting for shit to happen, waiting for the ball to come to your feet and, 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 you know, and, and fucking just make shit happen or dribble around guys and, and get crazy. Go- That's not how this team plays. That's not how Bradley plays. If you look at how Bradley plays, he has changed. He's gotten as good as he has because of all the different, you know, tasks he's kind of put uh they they've they put on him so yeah bringing in someone who doesn't understand that doesn't always work it probably wouldn't work it would need a good full you know full uh full preseason and even a couple of actual games for them to really yeah. kind of get in the groove of things whereas you have someone like brian white who the guy's been playing in the system for how many fucking years now you know look at how good he did with our with uh with the pdl team and usl like he gets it he fully understands what he is supposed to do when he gets on that field at the highest level. From that point now, it's really just him honing the the actual on-the-field skills. You know, he's got the tactics completely sorted out for the most part at this point because, again, he's got that rapport. He's got the history already with this team in that position. Now it's, okay, when you get that header one minute into the game – learn how to get that ball inside. Yeah, now. I mean, that's exactly, you know, when you get those, when you get those goal scoring opportunities, now it's working on, on taking that, taking that, that goal scoring ability you had in, in the lower levels. And now kind of just lift that and bring it up uh, into the MLS level, which that's yeah. just going to take time. Right. I mean, this is only the second time he's only the second game he's ever played at this level. So, and, and I don't even think he looked out of place. For the most part. I mean, even against Houston, I think he settled in yeah. pretty quickly that game. This game against the quote-unquote best team in the league, <laughs> suck my dick, but against the best, supposed best team in the league, he looked completely in place. He did not look like, like look yeah. out of place at all that game. And that comes from just being comfortable. When you, when, you, when you take the field and you know what you're supposed to do, you're going to be comfortable. And he is. He is, in my opinion, the perfect backup for someone yeah, like Bradley Wright, uh, and then on top of that, I mean, you know, I mean, you're not going to get much playing time behind a striker like Bradley Wright Phillips because I mean, he doesn't really miss that much time. So the fact that you know, it's very comforting for me to know that we have someone who can come off the bench and you know provide a facsimile of what he does and a very good facsimile of that. You know, mm-hmm. and for all the reasons that I think me and you have mentioned, you know, I think kind of have to wonder after a while like i i don't exactly know like what red bull 2 players have to do in order to earn this fan base's respect anymore but that's going to be something that i'm probably just going to have to say for some other uh episode because you know we do have to preview the san jose game and we are coming up yeah. on 51 <laughs> minutes on this episode just talking about how we <laughs> kind of creamed uh, atlanta uh for 90 minutes on sunday so i guess it my closing thought on this game is fuck Tata Martino. Have fun in Mexico yep. or wherever you may want to go. Because, I mean, your career up to this point is just being Messi's uncle. 
and you're just writing off the uh, <laughs> kind of writing off the uh, coattails of that. So you should be honored that the highlight, the second highlight of your career, was becoming a meme in service of Chris Armis, and <laughs> that is all you're going to be remembered for. A- Tata, have fun. <laughs> Yeah, I think he was definitely um, my last my last, I guess, comment on this is I think he was exposed um, for really just I think it was a, he was exposed the way Patrick Vieira was exposed quite a bit where he just didn't have the tactical um, diverse mindset or, or ideas. I think that some people think um, and I also think it proved that Atlanta may not be as good as people think they've they've bottom fed teams that admittedly we maybe have struggled sometimes because this team has a problem of playing down to opponents and but they've they've crushed the shittiest teams in the league but they've struggled against the best teams and we've destroyed the best teams in the league and struggled sometimes against the worst so i think i think this game i hope that this game finally starts giving this fan base um reasons to start being a little fucking arrogant uh yeah, you know, I think that sums it up for me perfectly. We have to have this swagger on our field because, you know, I think I've been saying this basically every episode now that when this team comes out and plays the way that we know that they can play, they can beat anyone in MLS. Uh, but, you know, moving ahead now from the quote-unquote best team in the league to the quote-unquote worst team in the league, um, the San Jose earthquakes and um what a difference five years can make huh from uh all conquering supporters shield winners in the early 2010s to oh man just just an absolute dumpster fire in 2018 uh dead last into western conference coming into this game after what can be described fairly lightly as a Difficult season under Mikhail Starr, who has now been fired, of course. Uh, San Jose coming into this game under the charge of interim head coach Steve Ralston, uh, New York Revolution's, uh, sorry, uh, New England Revolution legend Steve Ralston, having lost five in a row coming into this game. I mean, we can talk about how they should at least have one following that fucking shit show against Atlanta. But we don't really need to go into too much detail about. Yeah, I think we ran yeah, about what happened. Week. Long uh, <laughs> that that will require its own like thirty for thirty, and when we do um, secure more funding to do these kind of things, like you can expect the first ever Richard Van TV thirty for thirty to be on that game. Um, so here's an interesting tidbit from San Jose's uh, team team play chart on who scored is that the only thing that who scored has listed them as being strong at is taking long shot opportunities. That is their only <laughs> strength according to who scored's data, which is, um, that is literally that, that says <laughs> you, that is, it basically says, yeah, you, we're giving you guys credit yeah, I for mean, trying like, sometimes. The only strength is taking pot shots from deep. Because they have no other idea. Yeah. Like, that's what the who scored data shows. I mean, you want me to go down the weakness link. Um, here we go from the top. 
Defending so against attacks down the wings, weak. Defending against through ball attacks, weak. Defending against skillful players, weak. Avoiding fouling in dangerous areas, weak. Defending counterattacks, weak. Defending set pieces, very weak. Protecting the lead, very weak. This is... <laughs> this is this sounds this sounds like the rundown of like a pub Sunday league team that try to like join fucking I don't know yeah PO I mean like some shit. <laughs> you guys are bad at playing soccer but you guys shoot from like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you're just collectively bad at playing the sport but hey here's a here's a token thumbs up for trying twenty five yeah, yards out yeah. once in a while. <laughs> Um, this is this is kind of like a perspective changer for us, you know. I think uh, talking about how we've been frustrated sometimes, guys. Seriously, do you ever feel bad about this team? Just just look at this on who scored, okay? Like, and understand that as frustrated as we may be sometimes, it could be so so much worse. You know, the 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 data doesn't really give any indication of how they really play as a team. And, you know, it, it really does kind of show that they've just had an absolutely awful season under Mikhail Starr, which who should have never gotten the job in the first place. Um, the analytics agree. I guess uh, welcome to the analytics part of the show. So if you've never been a fan of, the, of uh, expected goals or anything, this is probably when you'll tune out the episode. But surprisingly, the Quakes are not the worst team in the league by team expected goals. They are only the fourth worst team in the league. Colorado is the worst team in the league by the statistic because they have a measly total of one expected goal per game, which is awful. That's amazing. What has sank San Jose is the fact that they have the second worst expected goals against per game, expected goals goals against per game in the league with 1.82. The only team that has done worse than San Jose in this regard, you know, has is Orlando who have an expected goal against per game of 1.89. And when you factor in how bad that defense has been, you know, you have to allocate a lot of the blame to the goalkeeping. Because on top of what is already a very leaky defense, they have a very flappy goalkeeper who has been sparting most of the season, Andrew Tarbell, who recently lost his spot deservedly to JT Marshinkovsky. I mean, yeah, That's I mean, I am too. I mean, man, like, statistically the worst um, goalkeeper in the league this season, apparently, according to expected goals against two goals against. You know, he's actually conceding a lot more than that 1.82 mark that he's been expected to concede, which is astounding, if you ask me. I mean... Yeah, they're not two goals against per game bad, but they're certainly close, you know, at 1.82. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah, I, there was a game I saw there's uh, earlier this year. I don't even remember who the hell it was against. But um, so you know how in any, you may not know this, but in NHL, they have this like weird backup, backup goal, yeah, goalie shit where there's kind of like a, a revolving, floating uh, mm-hmm. a, a goalkeeper or goalie. And like, if shit really hits the fan, they kind of just get called in. That's what I felt like I was watching. I felt like they just went into the crowd and said, "Hey, has anyone ever played a keeper before?" Like, huh. 
after high school and just pulled him in. Like it was shockingly bad. His positioning was bad. Reading the game was bad. His decision-making, I mean, everything. It's kind of like their who scored rundown, like everything that you need to be a goalkeeper. Yeah. He was just horrendous. And, uh, considering that he actually won his starting position from David Bingham last season. Uh, I mean, the goalkeeping options in San Jose, man, just, just they're not bright to say the least. Uh, no, it's, I, I'm at, I'm surprised at, I'm surprised at, at how bad of a record they have lately with, with, with keepers. Their keepers are just, or they, their keepers have been yeah. bad for, for I mean, quite ever a while since now. Bingham just fell off a cliff after being called in a camp cupcake a couple of years ago. It's a fair warning, you know, just, just never, yeah, never yeah. send your players to the USMNT. Like they'll, they'll just be ruined. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, I guess, in San Jose. They do have a couple of pretty useful players in Paco and Danny Hosen. And of course you have everyone's best friend, Wando coming off the bench nowadays. Uh, Hosen is your leader. Yeah. Goal he's score. always it. He's, he's always like, he's always, I'm sorry. He's always that, that, that good guy to come off the bench to get yeah, that I mean, one. That's basically all he's good off. for is just scrappy goals really at this point in his career. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's just what Wando does and he still owes me money. So fuck him. Uh, Hosen, the leading goal scorer in the year, 12 in the season. Baco coming in second place with 10. And Wando with nine off the bench. So, I mean, Wando is quite still quite a potent weapon in MLS in this day and age. Uh, so we kind of have to do give respect to him when he does come off the bench. Baco is also the expected goal chain leader. And, you know, I mean, it seems to me that a big amount of their offense is generated by him. You know, the... So he's probably going to be the guy that we have to probably pay the most attention to. I think what's going to be a bit of a wild card factor for the San Jose game is the lineup that they're going to trot out. Like now that they have virtually nothing to play for, but pride. Do we see, I'm not really sure the kind of lineup that we're going to see from Steve Ralston. I'm not sure if he's going to give more of a run out to uh, some of the younger players in the squad, as opposed to like his uh, veterans who have, underperformed as well you know maybe he starts wando yeah i mean like that's sort of like the wild card factor for me but you know how good this team was at shutting down atlanta's offense at home you know i think it would be kind of disastrous if san jose somehow find a way to beat us at a fire you know i think well i i tell you what though what kind of gives me a little bit of confidence that game specifically with atlanta is they were holding their own defensively surprisingly well until that bullshit happened with with uh with right. um VAR. After that, they just lost it. They were just mentally broken down and they couldn't get in. If there's one good thing this team is 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 good at doing, and it's actually important to the success of how they play, is getting in your head and making you uncomfortable. If they can make them uncomfortable the way they were uncomfortable and kind of scared against Atlanta, but from the very beginning, yeah, I think that I think we have, where you have to factor in the press intensity again, right? Because if you can frustrate their guys early on and take them out of the game, uh, because you're too busy, because you know they've kind of defeated themselves at that point. The earlier that you can do that by keeping up that press intensity is going to be the key, because I really do see the press as being our big frustrator. You know, like guys being stuck in guys 
um, aggressively challenging for every ball and knocking other teams off their element. You know, like that's such a big part of like our so-called uh, mental game is not is making other teams feel uncomfortable, and it's kind of why like you know. I'm not really sure where this perception of fans being terrified of losing this game is coming from. That's being perpetuated in podcasts that will not be named. But look, I mean, this is the worst team in MLS. There's not a lot of bright spots for them. He may be away at home on the West Coast, but anything short of a win would be a disaster especially of how high confidence is right now yep and how much belief must be flowing through the squad as a result of winning the biggest game of the season i fully ex oh sorry i mean i yeah. fully and, and, expect with I'm like no, 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 how all of this combined that we have we can bring this forward in avaya and win decisively because anything short of that would be an embarrassment but what are you about to say no, I was going to say that, um, you know, sometimes you have to make sure you stay grounded after a win like that, like going just completely and utter, utterly dominating the quote unquote best team in the league. Bullshit. Um, and then from there going against basically one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah. I mean, I could see how you can kind of, I could see it being a trap in the sense of maybe you get a little too confident and you don't take them seriously enough. But I think this team has learned at this point enough from moments like that against losing or dropping points against shitty teams that we really, really should have gotten a full three points on to not do that this game. If 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 this team hasn't by now learned to um, to kind of feed off of the, the games earlier in the yeah. season, then that's a problem. So if they're able to walk into this game with a level head and say, okay, even though we beat the quote unquote best team in the league bullshit last week, and this team sucks, it doesn't matter. You still have to keep that intensity up. You have to keep focus. And if they do that, if we don't walk out completely dominating this team, that would be a huge shock. Anything less than three points. And this would be the worst yeah. Draw or defeat think, of the season. I mean, I guess, you know, to give Atlanta, no, sorry, to give San Jose some credit, you know, I mean, the fight they showed against Atlanta for the first, you know, maybe 70 minutes of that game, you know, that was, I mean, that was, you know, an indication that, you know, like, this is probably a team that hasn't been playing, that isn't as bad as they've been playing all season. But, you know, I mean, you talk Definitely, about keeping yeah. the team grounded. I do agree to a degree, but I also feel like, I want us to bring the level of disrespect that we showed Atlanta into this game as well. You know, I think without question, I think oh, dear, we yeah, are yeah, yeah. as a team, like at our best when we're being rude to everyone else. Right. Yeah. So, so what, what I mean though was like, be confident yeah. because of how yeah. you played, not just be confident, you know, be confident because you guys worked so damn hard. You just absolutely obliterated them. So yeah, we're totally gonna do that again. Duh. As opposed to, you know, yeah, we obliterated them. Okay. Let's just go and play San Jose now. You know, like there's a difference, Like you can be, you can be, um, 
you can be very, very confident and have basically no respect, but at the same time, understand why you can do that. And it's because you have to, you know, that if you work hard for those results, you're going to get it. It's not just going to come to you. So I, I don't want them to go in there being all like, you know, oh no, they might get us and, and all the, you know, being humble in that way. I want them to walk in there with absolutely no, dis- no respect whatsoever and just go in there and try to punch him to dick for minute fucking one. But again, under the context of they can do that because yeah. of how good they are. No, definitely. You know what definitely. I mean? Definitely. And I think when you factor in everything, I guess, you know, uh, one thing that I think I forgot to uh, touch on was, uh, you know, the fact that on top of this level of disrespect that they're trying to be bringing into this game, like we also do get Bradley Ray Phillips back. And, you know, I mean, come on. Like, that's huge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Look, if a team is, 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 if a team that concedes that many goals and concedes that many chances, you put someone like Bradley in front of there. I he's got to fucking score. Yeah. He's he's got to get goals. Really, this yeah. game, there's really no excuse. You know that th- this is this is the kind of game I guess we're like, where the mentality is. You know, if 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 you watch a if you watch a boxing fight where like the guy you really expect to win goes in there and just just does his shit. Like he just he walks in there with pride and arrogance. And does what he has to do and knocks someone out in the first round, as opposed to, you know, the dumbass who is superior but walks in there, you know, had fucking KFC the week before to fight and didn't train as hard and just waltz in there and expected the win to come to him. As long as we're that first person, we're we're gonna go in there. Brad's gonna fuck shit up. He's gonna drop goals. We're gonna we're gonna embarrass his team the way, the same way embarrass yeah, I mean, the like best that team that to be the week. outcome. And uh, I think. That's why I think I'm going to be basing my prediction uh, based on, A, uh, how our general away form, which has been pretty good, even in even on West Coast trips, you know, our away form has generally been good. And also, B, I think coming in with, like, the level of confidence that this team has found in itself after this win. You know, I, I fully anticipate at least – I mean, I, I expect a win. I'm going to predict a win. And I'm going to predict a win by – at least two goals, if not more. I can see this uh, kind of resulting anyway. Like my, my gut's telling me either a two nil or a three nil win away from home, because I think, you know, I mean, this is something that we should be able to handle with no problem, and we must be able to handle this with no problem. Because if we stumble at this block, that would be the single most embarrassing thing for us to happen this season. But I find. I trust that the team has it within themselves to not just win, but win decisively in a buyer. So I'm going to stick with that two or three, no one. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go with that. I, I think it's going to be a multi-goal win. Um, I think after the win against Atlanta, I get just from kind of reading some of their comments and stuff. I, I almost get the sense that like, it's like a newfound hunger for the shield. Not that it didn't have it before, but like it just feels yeah. so close and so tangible now. Granted, it's going to require Atlanta to fuck up a little bit, but I think that's just going to, I think after, and this could just be me projecting here, but I, I would, I will almost go as far as saying after losing the way they did in, in, in CONCACAF and losing the way they did in Orlando, 
I think those things tied with blood is still in their in, in, in their mouths from fucking Atlanta that this is gonna this is really gonna push them towards giving it their 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 absolute all for the rest of the season to put themselves in a position and right. do what they have to do to potentially get a shield. You know, yeah, you, you still have to wait. You still have to hope for Atlanta to mess up, but I think they've shown um, quite a bit this season that they're not the most meant that they're a bit fragile mentally. And if they are as fragile as maybe some people think they are, including myself, maybe they do drop points. And if this team can ride on that confidence from last week, all they got to do is just put themselves yeah. in a position to get the shield. Yeah. And I think I they're going to try to their best to um, do that. So I guess that kind of does it for us here on the show this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this first ever international broadcast. Uh, as we go global, ladies and gentlemen, the fire rises. Uh, you'll kind of expect uh, some similar setup to this uh, going forward. Uh, you know, I think uh, considering for it's a first run through on a international episode, like I'm pretty satisfied of how it's gone. Like, how about you? Like, Yeah, yeah. Tactical, tactically speaking, um, you know, no audio issues or anything like that, and yeah, flow is pretty good. I would say, yeah. So, uh, I think we're good. Uh, it's going to be a good morning from me, and it's going to be a good night from Fernando. But we hope. Uh, no, because I fucking keep blowing my nose and sneezing, and I hate my life. So no, my <laughs> sleep is going to fucking suck tonight. Yeah, and I have a whole. I'm here in wow, the future. You're, you're, you're it's the sunny. Future, though, actually. It's hot. It. Global warming is terrible. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but I'm about to have breakfast in a bit. So everything works out in the end. And, you know, not only will I be, I, I hope around the same time tomorrow evening that I have something even more nice things to talk about. So I kind of be hoping for three points and three goals on what is going to be Sunday morning for me, but Saturday night for you guys. So I think without further ado, Metrofan TV saying peace out. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Peace. Later. Cuando ustedes me ven, yo sé que tiemblan. Yo estoy ready 24 hours. El padre, pídame la bendición. Yeah, estoy subiendo como espuma, prendiéndole en la cara al que no fuma. Ando con adidas veloces como puma. El Undertaker saliendo de la bruma y se apagan las luces. Prende el wax para que me muse. Tú no metes cabra, tú no luces. No es el Mercedes, es quien lo conduce. Y dime que son retros sin un Jordan que las use. Yeah, evita el delay. Y si no te ponchamos, te damos doble play. No existe replay, son Miami sin LeBron y Wey. Nos vamos a switchar, aunque me enfiche. Me tiran, pero soy un piche. Hueva loca que me la chiche. Yo matando y tú mirando en la bliche.
Yo controlo la calle sin ser bichote Un melón y pico dentro del pote Yo tengo el pique flow chipotre Shaquille O'Neal debajo del aro Nadie me quita un rebote La nueva religión, yo soy la nueva era Es responsable de que ustedes se cayeran Apartamento frente al mar lo tengo de pecera Y el sabor dice el directo de la nevera Se bebiza chinga como en pro Yo soy un iwe.com En el VIP soy Donald Trump Yo tengo dos guchetas a la fob Tú no metes cabra, Sara Mambiche 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 Y si te me enfocas, nos vamos a switche Yo lo escucho Lo que ustedes están diciendo ahí abajo Mambo Kings! Mambo Kings!